Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David and I'm here this week with Rob. Hello. Alistair. Hello. Jamie. Alright. James. Hello. And very special guest, Dr. Eleanor Yaniger. Hey! The, f- the first um, uh, triple challenge winner, I think, in terms of return guests on this podcast. That's right. Yes. You senior girl. Yeah. So the three people everywhere these days. You're on. You're you're streaming. You're blogging. You're Twitter. You're tweeting everywhere. It's it's. I I can't. And you're authoring, so I can't go a day without you know, Eleanor. Yeah, look, you know, look at you. You know, <laughs> look, yeah, I'm very tired. To- Please send whiskey. <laughs> I think I think what we're getting from this is that Eleanor is single-handedly winning the war of position. That's so, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, and welcome to the Eleanor Simp podcast. That's right. <laughs> it's about time uh, I got one. The commanding heights of the pot- of the content economy. <laughs> <laughs> On this podcast, I talk about three things: Jurassic Park, Eleanor Yarnaga, and Justified. Justified. I'm I'm here oh. for this. This is fine. Again, this is not the Justified <laughs> episode. I see it. I'm going to say this every week for fucking weeks. This is not the Justified <laughs> episode. You know, David, you you know you reacting to it has made it a bit now, right? And you need you you clearly are are not spending enough time around people who take the piss because you should by, <laughs> know by now, like not to blink, not to move. We're kind of like. <laughs> T-Rexes in that if we sense any kind of movement, we're just going to go straight for you. So, uh, Yeah, I've, I, I am losing the war of position. I, I like the idea of people listening like right before they, they turn this episode on, like the glass of water starts shaking. I like the idea of that. <laughs> the, the very quiet sounds of the UK's national anthem vibrating through the water, getting louder and louder. Oh, Rob. Please kick us off with the news. What for yeah. Well, um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about is an upcoming book, um, which is not out yet, but I, 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 I really want this to be out. And I'm, I'm warning uh, <laughs> Sinan and Riley that this is one I really want to read. Um, a, former <laughs> aide, <laughs> a former aide to Dominic Cummings called Cleo Watson, uh, known informally as The Gazelle, um, is writing... <laughs> Wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah, no one knows who is that. This, this sounds like one of those nicknames that people make up for themselves. You know, yeah. it's like no. we, you, we're, yeah, you, you can't just make up your own nickname. Someone else has to do it for you. And this just reeks of that. That's all. Yeah, it's incidentally, it, everyone calls me Mr. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's got very strong ice, ice, baby ice, Mr. Ice kind of standing in front of the mirror, flexing <laughs> with like half a glass of whiskey kind of thing going. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I, don't think that, is... I don't think that's fair on the Mr. Ice guy, because have you seen how shredded he is? He's, he's only gotten more shredded since that picture was taken. Yeah, I've no critical support from this podcast to Mr. Cool Ice. <laughs> <laughs> that nickname is definitely something the uh, the papers made up because like they, they know that like, do you know what I mean? The old people who read papers will like hear that nickname and go, "Oh, she must have nice legs." Do you mm. know what I mean? It's, it's mm. very, it's very carry on like. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, anyway, so it's not even. I didn't even want to bring her up because she's known as the gazelle, but she is writing a sexy she's not, new novel. Uh, <laughs> we just established that. She's writing a sexy new novel called Whips! Exclamation mark. Um, which, promises to be, which promises to be a cross between House of Cards and Fifty Shades of Grey. 
I'll fuck <laughs> off. To be honest, I'll just to say problematic as fuck. So you know. <laughs> when when Rob first when Rob first asked us to have a like a breeze through the, the notes the other day, I just stumbled across this first bullet point in the notes and immediately switched off and didn't read them for like two more days. <laughs> to be fair, that, that's to my be fair, excuse. This is, yeah. This is better than the first draft. You don't want to know what the word, the word in the first draft was, which was even more problematic, but also much more accurate about Westminster. Um, so apparently the story of whips uh, will feature, quote, and this from the Daily Mail, thinly veiled characters and revolve around a, a young female commons researcher who is thrust into a dark Machiavellian world of feuding and trysts after working on the successful body leadership campaign of a Tory MP. Can we just like... Sorry, go on, Eleanor. I mean, my thing is, right, so what, we're meant to, like, oh, surprise, surprise, it's a story about how a Tory woman fucks her way up to the top. Like, yeah, we've established that, bro. Like, this is not exciting. Like, it's not even titillating. It's like, yeah, we're clear on that one. I I don't know what to tell you. And also, by the way, that's like the least sexy thing that ever happened. It's just awful. It's just like horrifying. And also, maybe I'm celibate now. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, do, you think the first, do you think the first draft was called Click? <laughs> okay, that was a joke that only Rob got, and I appreciate it. Did you hear about that Tory MP who kept trying to, uh, well, no, not trying to, just straight up like verbally sexually assaulting his uh, subordinates, and they all started calling him Click because his wife said that going to bed with him was like having a large wardrobe with a key still in it fall on top of you? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a certain relative of Mr. Churchill, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's, let's not identify him any further for the purposes of libel on this podcast. Uh, the this was in the papers. There's, there's yeah, nothing right, that's, yeah, that's, that's wrong. Um, yeah, that anyway. Nicholas <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, but this is not... She She comes from a, uh, a literary family, uh, I, I might add, because uh, her, no. her older... Si- so a rich her- family then. Yes, um, yeah, her sure older sister, the, the, older, the gazelle's older sister, uh, Annabelle Watson. Um, are you, are you, are you, are you, Rob, Rob, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing the gazelle bit. We are not going to give the name any more fucking credence than it already has. <laughs> Annabelle's nickname Feed is bit. the Greater Kudu. <laughs> <laughs> like feed the gazelle to the lions at this point i think and um, move on. yeah anyway but she already uh was uh chief of staff to theresa may successfully there to be sure well that sounds um, sexy as fuck <laughs> but she has already written a- <laughs> fucking office sexual tension with theresa may just stood gormless in the corner no no, no. she oh, wrote something fantastic. slightly she wrote something slightly different she wrote um a book called countryside odyssey in the pink the erotic fields of wheat Um, I'll give you the back uh, from Amazon I'll give you the back of the book uh, summary the book recounts you don't have to you don't have to we'll just look up on Amazon later it's fine Um, which recounts the escapade which recounts the escapade of two sisters who abandoned their careers in London to follow their dreams of a sunny rural idyll, but instead were thrown into a hair-raising world where the horses have cocaine habits and the locals have developed their own alternative to Viagra. What? Ah. (laughs) Oh, man. Now, I'm not going to say I wasn't tempted to read this and not talk about fish, 
Um, like, but what I you do find on it. your own time is not my concern. <laughs> to be honest, right? <laughs> no, I would have written it and to- told you all about it on this very podcast, but no, I couldn't find no, it. No, 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 you wouldn't have. No, you wouldn't have. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna implement a veto system. All right. Yes, I'm reading ahead of my notes, and I see that Rob has excerpted from the actual fucking book and is about to read it to us, and I am hitting the big red button. Abort. <laughs> no, we're not doing this. We're not reading conservative erotica on this podcast. <laughs> can I? <laughs> can I insist that we have a bar, however? lowly placed and it's that <laughs> we will be reading whips exclamation mark because um cleo will be drawing on all the stories she has ever heard about sex and skullduggery during her career it will be an erotically charged the thick of it oh that's just what the world needed oh that's God. the one thing i was missing in my life i mean the one thing that would complete me as a person would be to see ollie from the thick of it get it up just that's fantastic <laughs> Well, what would they call that? Would they call it the thick of dick? Something like that? Mm. The dick of it? No, it'd just be yeah, the thick, thick of it. But thick would be bold. And two C's. Ah, yeah, two C's. Yeah, yeah, two C's. Yeah, yeah, two C's. Yeah. I mean, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we nailed that one down. <laughs> I guess it's like, I'm reminded of, you know, they had like this... Um, there was some kind of poll that was going around Twitter that was like, well, what do um, conservative people versus oh, like yes. labor people, like what, what do they consider erotic or what is their greatest <laughs> fantasy? And it's like conservative people were like, I would take all my clothes off before I had missionary sex with my wife. Very like <laughs> no, <laughs> their favorite one was sex with a sports star. That was their most statistically aberrant fantasy compared to the others, right? They wanted to have sex with a sports car. Sports car. Well, <laughs> 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 Uh, sports star the UKIP one was great it was using a vibrator and like sex toys <laughs> that, that was their greatest fantasy sadly um, sadly that poll has now been demoted to the second best poll that we've seen in the last two weeks yeah, yeah that's true the, uh, the, the best detail was Lib Dems one because it just made them out to people the strange, strange people that they are. It had um, remember it's it's this fantasy is statistically overrepresented in each political group, and the Lib Dems' leading one was uh, sex with someone of a different ethnicity or sex with someone who's transgender. That's like you know basically they're a bunch of chasers, uh... and uh, then it had um, being watched and watching, and like you know just really kind of like I'm 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 favor of BDSM, but it's. A collection of specific BDSM and like alt kink things, which if they very much they, they put the uh, Lembit Opic on it. Let's put it that way. There's one listener who's particularly going to enjoy that reference. <laughs> yeah, I know she is. <laughs> my my oh. private theory about that particular poll, at least where I consider the conservatives, is that it just wasn't an option. But given the list nope, of Rob, things they nope, had, nope, no, 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 no. Nope. We are going to get through the first news story without you saying the word nonce. <laughs> no, I was literally not about to do that. I was literally not about to do that. What I was about to do is, is to say that they all want to sleep with Jeremy Clarkson. Mm. I don't believe you. Nah, I don't believe you at all. No. <laughs> they consider to be a sports star. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, sports it, also, it would also count as sleeping with a sports car, surely. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Right, Rob, um, let's move on from this horrible story that none of us actually like to hear about, please. <laughs> um, well, you will hear about it on our future spin-off, uh, Podcasting as Practice After Dark. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the OnlyFans for that one. <laughs> That's Night crew. It's at feet here. <laughs> Uh, so the second story I wanted to mention is that the UK is continuing its quest into just turning into a mortuary cult with a hat on, because um, <laughs> last weekend would have become would have been 
Captain Tom Moore's 101st birthday. Um, so I hope we all enjoyed our, uh, you know, celebratory moment. or what's the opposite of celebratory, whatever that is. Um, commiseratory. Mushy peas. Yeah, commiseratory mushy, mushy peas that were all compulsory. Yeah, I mean, his, his family, of course, continuing to milk whatever fame is in that fucking mm. corpse, mm. Um, did a thing and they want to embrace the legacy of public service of Captain Tom, etc., etc. Boring, boring. So what do you think they some of our um, UK's biggest celebrities got up to in, in remembrance of Captain Tom and his loops around the garden? That's well, so the thing Captain where, like, Tom. Judy Dench... Judy Dench like nailed an entire bag of Maltesers or some shit. Yeah, like a family size bag. <laughs> yeah, she ate. She ate one hundred absolutely Maltesers. fucking smashed them. <laughs> People just lined them up in the street, and she just went down like Pac Man. Just fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh god, sunk the whole lot. Now that I would watch. Mm. <laughs> I mean, something's got to balance out the pills, right? I mean, was it supposed to be challenging? Because like a hundred Maltesers, I'm pretty sure I could do a hundred Maltesers on like. A good day, never mind a bad one. Yeah, for you, it, really it was the anniversary of Captain Tom's birthday. For me, it was a Tuesday. Yay! <laughs> At this point, it really, it really fucking is just anything except actually doing something about anything. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> said said Judy Dench of the challenge. Now I am completely inspired by him, and I've decided to do it. Only I'm going to eat Maltesers. Lovely, my fave. It's ah. chump for carers. That's what this is. <laughs> this is just so fucking depressing. Uh, other people included uh, 2012 Olympics winner Jessica Ennis, who bounced 100 times on a pogo stick. What? Which, uh, but we can't leave out future generations. This came via Ava uh, Vidal, which is at that twerking girl, who's pretty good on Twitter. Um, and because the school kids in the region in and around the grave of uh, Captain Tom... Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're, uh, in <laughs> yes um, I said it's mortuary cult um, school children oh, in his region uh, compulsory peas love it mm-hmm. were, yes uh, were, were given Captain Tom's favourite meal on his supposed birthday of April 30th they had a choice supposed of birthday oh, he's dead. <laughs> is he like the queen he's, where he's, he's got, got you know this is extremely like me trying to look up date of birth for like Aelfrek the Greater or something like that and we're like I don't know circa he's an alleged birthday was, was this... Captain Tom even a real person we're too far past that point in time to know really you know <laughs> genuinely you just put in my head the fact that yeah Eleanor at some point someone's going to be looking up at the late 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 medieval period and the rise of a cult of Captain Tom like your, your future descendants as historians have this shit to work with. Nothing of honor is commemorated here. <laughs> if you become a high, if you become a high priest, you get a ceremonial stroller. They'll be, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. I just, I'm still a little bit mind blown by the Malteser eating. Like the idea that eating a hundred Maltesers is anything other than like a starter. You know, I'm just yeah. kind of like. I, I had a, I had a dog that did that once. Oh, <laughs> F's in the chat. Um, yeah, well, it. I don't know how. I, we got. We got. I got a big box of Maltesers at Christmas, uh, back when I was a teenager, and I put it on top of like uh, the stereo in the living room. Mm. And then months later, we were sitting down, the whole family sitting down to watch a film, and I was like, 
I think I'll open that box of Maltesers, man. I went and picked it up. It was empty. And Jack Russell had climbed up and chewed the corner off the box no. and just sucked the Maltesers out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we never, we never, like, we didn't even notice it happened. Do you know what I mean? So mm. fuck knows how long it had been. But he hit, as soon as he saw me go for the box, he went and hid under the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have done the same, James, let's be honest. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm really glad that like school children, um, like she 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 posted the picture of it as well, and it literally said like in honor of Captain Tom's uh, 101st supposed birthday, um, you get to choose his favorite meal, um, which was just like I don't know how much more the UK can just like devolve into this weird cult where we just revere the dead and, and, and you know the spirits of ages past, like it's just. I mean, isn't don't we have Veterans Day? Don't we have Queens? Whatever? Don't we have? Don't we have enough of these fucking celebrations by now? Jesus Christ! Yeah. On that subject, over to you, Eleanor. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is a hundred percent one of these things where you know, obviously, it's it, it's so obvious that we're just kind of living in this state of imperial decline, right? So there's nothing that they have to offer us in the future. So all that we have is this kind of made up nostalgia. Where at this point, I'm supposed to be nostalgic for an MFR that I heard about like a year ago, who was like doing some lab in his garden like I mean it's fine but this it's so manufactured and you know we don't have kind of anything now-ish right so it's like how every baby boomer thinks that they served in World War II uh, for some reason, just because of the way of our, our commemoration works around that. And, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, every idiot white supremacist I have to fight with because they think like the Anglo-Saxons were a thing. You know, it's like over and over again, you see this kind of like call out to the past or trying to get there in order to make us feel better about the future because they can't offer us anything in the future. All they can offer us is, you know, this, this, some more. They've made it very clear that this is what's exactly on offer. And, you know, you're not allowed to insult it because, you know, Captain Tom and his Zimmer frame or something. It's just all really exhausting because it's so obvious what's happening. And it's all right out in the open, but people just refuse to see it. And I hate everything, basically. I mean, like, nothing ever really <laughs> goes wrong. Nothing ever really goes wrong when societies start worshipping he um, heroes in a mythic past. I mean, that's usually fine. Oh, yeah. It's usually great. Uh, so um, I I think that everything is uh, cool and good, actually. And I'm looking forward to, I don't know, um, Arthuriana coming back into vogue. <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a, in a, in a similar vein, um, we are once again also returning to a heroic past because apparently we are making great strides towards actually buying a new royal yacht. We talked about it briefly with Leftover <sighs> a few weeks ago. Okay, but I they hate say this. this like ev they say this every twenty minutes, though, don't they? There's yeah, but the volume is one, kind of there's being one like particular Tory MP who just has like a massive yacht boner, and he's just yeah. constantly like, maybe we maybe we should build a new royal yacht. Yeah, he's he, just that one guy that's just that's his solution to everything. You know, we've got mm. what huge deficits, royal yacht. You know, people <laughs> are dying of COVID, royal yacht. It's just yeah. you know, sometimes they have to invent it somewhere at some point. So why not now? Yeah, we'll just lift the nation's spirits. That'll uh, that'll solve all the problems. <laughs> well, it's like today I saw some extraordinarily cursed video of like um, the army trying out like jetpacks or something. 
Oh, yeah. And I, yes, and I was just that. like, for fuck's sake, mate. Like, you know, we have so many people in like food poverty here in the UK. And it's all like, you have fucking royal yachts. And here's, you know, for all that like, uh, like one on one person to person combat that happens nowadays in the military. Like, <laughs> it's just, it, it, again, it, it's the same sort of like extraordinary, um, like, you know, you see this stuff all the time, obviously, in the medieval period. It's like, oh, yeah, the the way that you can tell something is good is like, you know, the king spent a bunch of money on X for himself, right? Or, you know, like, oh, look, our, our fabulously well-kitted-out military. But, you know, what's in it for us, the fucking serfs, you know? Like, what's in it for, I, you know, it's just so depressing. I yeah, honestly what's think... What's in it for us is we get to watch Private Iron Man fly up and punch a drone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually I honestly think it's I think it's just someone in the government office is a really big fan of the Command and Conquer series and is like, yeah, okay, clearly we need our dropship troopers to be able to deploy by jetpack. And clearly we need a special ultra unit we can build to advance our, you know, foreign affairs and all this stuff. Look, and it's James, just like, if they start putting tanks on legs, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to become a tanky. Because that is too cool to pass up. <laughs> Tanks on legs. Do you mean mechs? Are you are you a weeb, That's... Alistair? Is that where this is going? <laughs> you just made a fucking reference to Command and Conquer, and you've never even played Tiberian Sun. I'm. Oh, I don't know why I even bothered. <laughs> Kane lives in death, motherfucker. You take those words back. <laughs> Listen, we all know why they, they were doing that thing with the jetpack. It's so that the the little guy on the ship can fly up and have a look for other ships because they didn't install any radar on the aircraft carrier. <laughs> That's what they're for. Just going to fly up and head headbutt the dome off the side of the helicopter. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no. It, it, and my favourite bit of this, by the way, was that the uh, MP whose name I can't remember for now um, specifically noted that uh, the yacht would be would sail around the world and promote British trade and interest overseas, including by hosting what? meetings. He just didn't what add does in that international mean? waters. How does oh, it that means we're going to sail out to international waters, and Prince Andrew will do his trade ambassador bit. I know what it means practically, I get that. But, like, what what is the actual convincing argument supposed to be here? Like, It, it will lift the spirits of, uh, of the UK. And, and literally, it, its function is literally to sail around the world and say, hey, do you want to buy some tap? No, but we used to do that, but there were guns on the boat. You put the guns on the boat and you make them buy it. That's the only way that works. If you take all the guns <laughs> off, it's just a fucking boat. See, when they, oh. when they say... When they say it's gonna like be hosting meetings, I like to imagine that it's like stood at the front of a room with a, a remote for the projector. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, ach- you could achieve you could achieve the same thing by like doing what that Dunkin' Donuts did and just like putting conference rooms in like fast food places. Mm. I thought you were gonna say hire Al Pacino. <laughs> I just love the the idea of a world wherein, like, um, I'm, somehow my spirits are lifted after you know twelve hours in the content mines every day because like the rich fuckers <laughs> got another boat. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh yeah. yeah, that'll do it. Love this for me. Like, I was just so excited that that they, they have a new yacht because the old one was looking kind of tatty. Like, I- <laughs> listen, Eleanor, you of all people should know, the person of the monarch embodies the health of the nation, right? Which is why Prince Philip and the Queen <laughs> look so great these days. And further to that, as they prosper, so prospers the nation, so prospers the body of a nation, so prospers the subject. So getting the Queen a yacht is getting you a yacht, Eleanor. Oh, God. I was like, I swear to you, I swear to you, like, in all of this the other day, 
you know, I just shouldn't go on Twitter, but like some American, because some people were talking about abolishing the monarchy as is right and good. And some American mm-hmm. was like, well, you know, I only want to go oh. on holiday in the UK. You know, if, if you got the, the I like the royal fantasy. You know, I that's, saw this, yeah. And I was like, yeah, was like, like was oh, like, so I, I should I keep paying taxes so that, like, you can have a royal fantasy on your holiday? And also, MFR, I know you do not have a passport. I know this. Yeah, he was like, he was like, oh, we'll, we'll not, we'll not come to visit anymore to see the royals, and it's like, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, like, did that guy <laughs> recently write an article about um, Disney yeah, by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, sorry. The guy's name is—he's uh, a Tory MP, of course, called Craig McKinley. And what I noticed this time when I read it, <laughs> his it's name piece- is what? Craig McKinley. No, Craig. Craig, Craig, whatever. <laughs> Craig McKinley, which would have been, which would have been a much better name. Zach McCracken. <laughs> Maybe after the show. <laughs> but yeah, the interesting thing I always find that is um, is whenever this ship comes up, uh, the the MPs who are behind this thing always mention the exact same shipyard where they think it should be built. And it's like, that's an interesting, why do you want, you know, that specific one? Is that, you know, do you maybe have a deal going? Mm. I mean, probably. I mean, mostly, I'm sure. Like, they're probably on the advisory board or something, right? They're, like, drawing a 75k a year salary to go to one meeting and then bring the name of the shipyard up whenever the royal boat gets mentioned, you know? No, I think you're selling it short. I think they've got a deal like Homer Simpson building a car where they've sketched the royal yacht and now they just want to get it made, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) The only four-hulled yacht to be created in modern times. Oh, God. (laughs) Right, now off of the SS Prince Philip... Um, <laughs> uh, well, if we have 200 million for the yacht, well, we need to make cuts somewhere else. Of course, yes. This is how money works. Yeah, exactly, because there's a finite supply. It's like Bitcoin. Um, and, um... <laughs> no, any, any, any of our Bitcoin, you know, bro fans are going to be very upset that you've said that. Yeah. No, they're going to be very happy because it's technically true and they've been yes. on a tear about it this week on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we're not getting sidetracked into uh, Bitcoin. No, the the thing I wanted to talk about was um, it came Dogecoin. via the... Mu- was No, it was via the Musicians Union. Um, so Dominic Raab and the uh, Department of Education have announced that they will do a 50% cut to what they call high-cost subjects in secondary schools. Um, High-cost subjects include, by the way, music, dance, drama, performing arts, design, media studies, and archaeology, all of which will be cut by 50% because they are seen as lower priority, quote-unquote, than STEM subjects. Yeah, so I got a lot of fucking things to say about this, obviously. I thought you might. Uh, Because um, in the first place... (laughs) That's almost a reason why I included it in this week's lineup. It's absolutely ridiculous to say that these are the high-cost subjects, right? Like, this is a purely Mm -hmm. ideological idea. And indeed, these are the subjects that actually end up propping up the STEM subjects. Because since everybody pays, like, this flat too high fee, you know, a history student is paying as much as a biology student, for example, or a dance student is paying as much as a chemist and a dance student just needs to like you know go to dance classes and they just basically need a studio and they need their instructor that's what they need you know chemists need reactive agents they need all kinds of chemical 
animals. You have to have really specialized spaces for them. And so functionally, the arts and humanities are actually propping up the STEM subjects completely. So we, we are the yes. ones, you know, like who are massively oversubscribed. Everybody wants these things. And I mean, there's what the kind of thing that is happening here when they say that, like, oh, that's lower priority and we have to push STEM. What they're saying is that the proles have to do STEM. Right. So this is all about ring fencing yep. it so that only like Imogen and Tarquin can get a dance degree <laughs> or a media studies degree or right, whatever, because, you know, they've got infinite money behind them and they can do whatever they want. Whereas everyone else has to be going to university specifically to get a job. So they have to be going specifically to do a STEM, like, you know, writ large, whatever the fuck that means, um, you know, in order to get a job in a call center later. It's just like it's this is also <laughs> the thing that's so extraordinarily frustrating because people act as though it's that, you know, university students picked the wrong degree. Degree. And that's why they ended up not having a job. And it's like, no, there's just no fucking jobs. Like, I, you know, I I say over and over again that actually, and, and this is true and it's annoying and I shouldn't have to say it because I think it's antithetical to what universities are about. But um, the highest rate of job placement for university graduates is history students. Yep. Um, and like you can say it till you're blue in the face. Nobody believes you. And also the most subscribed course in any university around the world is business, too. So there's always this fucking hand wringing about like, oh, media studies, which, oh, my God, we could just use so much more media studies in the world. Like, can you imagine if people actually like did media studies and learned how to like critique what newspapers are telling them? That would be amazing. That would be really useful to us. But, you know, it's essentially what it's just doing is it's kind of ring fencing off all of like the arts jobs for the wealthy, which, you know, has already essentially been done as well. Like it's absolutely fucking yeah. impossible to become a lecturer or get a job at a museum or, you know, like, Jesus Christ, like, break into acting or dance? Come on. Like, it's it's essentially yeah. impossible I mean, anyway. This is just, this is just an extension, the, isn't it? This is just yeah. an extension of the the tiered system that already exists within universities of, like, oh, is it not Oxford or Cambridge you went to? Hmm. Like, yeah. it's just oh, yeah. another fucking level added below that. It's just... I mean, you know, they, they, have this whole, they have this whole thing where it's like, you know, did you go to Oxford or Cambridge? No. Did you go to a Russell Group University? Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is a load of wank. Who the fuck is Russell anyway? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the joke is, I went to a so-called Russell Group University, and you know, my, I mean, we can take my degree if we want. It's total garbage. It's bullshit. There's nothing really distinguishing like the University of Dundee or equivalent from like University of Glasgow mm. when you really get down into it. Apart from the There's fact someone that someone who also went to the University of Glasgow for two years after dropping the fuck out, nah, it was nothing special. Shit, actually. Yeah, exactly, right? The best thing that happened at University of Glasgow was honestly my political education at the Queen Margaret Student Union, where I got radicalised. That's you pretty go. much it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but it's like, it, it's also... If the UK has a competitive advantage, it's in culture, mm, right? Mm. You know, and remember fucking Tony Blair and his cool Britannia and all this kind of shit? And it's, um... That's on the way out to, the door. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? But there was, there was genuinely a bit where British culture was actually punching a little bit above its weight. And it was a direct consequence, not of the fucking, um, you know, not even necessarily of funding in the, in the higher arts, so to speak, but just of the fact that, I mean, do you know what the Cockney rhyming slang is for going on the dole? Mm. Going on the rock and roll. Because everyone who went on the dole, the dole started a band. Because, you know, you were free to basically pursue other artistic activities. And a large part of Britain's cultural heritage came from having a strong and capable welfare state. And so they dismantled that. And that's kind of killed off an awful lot of, like, British, uh, you know, culture, so to speak. And I, I mean, like, actual culture. Mm -hmm. 
not the stupid bullshit we talk about and you know as being british culture in normal ireland these days and like but that's not enough we now have to try and smother it even further at higher education because of course our british you know business graduates are going to be the best in the world because well so i mean mean, it also just reminds me of you you remember uh, when when corbyn during one of his speeches said, you know, there's a, what was it again? There's a poet in everybody or like every, everybody yeah. can paint mm-hmm. a painting or something. And everybody just lost their fucking shit. And this is just more oh, yeah. of the same. Don't like- encourage them, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, the, other, the-, the other flip side of, of things is that STEM based jobs are like some of the only remaining high paying jobs in most of the Western world, right? Um, that is, you know, arguably broadly available to people that aren't connections aren't as necessary. Obviously, they help, mm. but um, it's you know, it's like uh, you know, for the last twenty years, we've been telling everyone to learn how to code. Yeah, because everyone once everyone knows how to code, that means that you can. Well, the theory goes that uh, you can just hire any bloke off the street and not have to pay him, you know, two hundred thousand dollars to keep your. 40-year-old software running. Mm, mm. Obviously, I mean, that's why like that's that. why Jamie is the highest paid person on this podcast, right? <laughs> oh, I, but like yeah. it's and that's sort of the flip side of the ideology of, you know, you keep the proles out of the um you know, the arts and humanities and you shovel them all into the these uh, this, this, you know, higher paying sector. I begrudgingly use higher paid sector, but uh to try and depress wages and that's mm. just intrinsic to the logic as well i mean it's a nice benefit of course yeah i mean it's it's also like the same effect you know of uh you know making arts courses you know impossible for people to get into or paying um arts jobs at the levels that they are so um i don't know if you guys have ever seen what like an entry-level museum worker job is um and like to be clear to get like an entry-level museum worker job, you often have to have at least a master's, if not a PhD. And in London, a lot of them uh, start at £22,000 a year, which is so far below like a London. I've seen I've seen them advertised at 18K. And this is like a, Jesus, a, in London. Yeah. That's like mm-hmm. minimum wage. Yeah, 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 completely. So uh, you it, basically what it does is it's like, again, it sets up these are jobs for rich people, right? So mm-hmm. it's like you basically all the poor kids can't take them because there's no way that you can make rent and like get this job, right? So it sets up everyone who does have financial backing, you know, from their parents or something like that. And they're the ones that can succeed. And, you know, it's absolutely, you know, intentional, I would argue. You know, everybody knows that this means that working class kids can't have these jobs. Um, You know, there's just no there's no way in fuck that I could ever get a museum job or that sort of a thing. It's just completely out of the realm of possibility. So it's there are all these systems in place and they're just kind of trying to funnel it in the same way. So it's like. Again, if you come from money and privilege, then you're allowed to take part of the arts. And, you know, this is, you know, yeah, it's a big part of the reason we got rid of the dole. Um, And I just want to make a shout out to another very important uh, song from our socialist lord and savior, George Michael. Um, And the the very important socialist banger, Wham Rap, which is all about being on the dole and and like, Mm -hmm. you know, having fun because... To quote the man himself, the prophet, I take pleasure in leisure, I believe in joy. It's also, um, it also goes back to, I mean, you know, you know the, you'll know this, Eleanor, Margaret Thatcher's quote when she asked someone what they were doing at university and she said medieval history. 
To which Margaret Thatcher said, oh, what a luxury. Well, this is the thing is that all the time medieval history in particular is one of the ones that's brought up as like the most esoteric thing that you can ever do, which is so funny because it's A, so incredibly important and B, people fucking love it. Like, you know, but what they want, they don't want people studying medieval history in particular because then you might go, uh, I think you'll find that not everybody who is white and uh you know things like that like they really don't want you looking into it but over and over again like this was brought up just recently i think in northern ireland um where like someone at some university said nobody needs another like early medieval literature graduate and it's like we don't why not like you know and the idea that like the, the streets are absolutely full of medieval historians like is you know ridiculous in the first place you often have a really hard time getting students into courses because they don't want to do the latin you know but you know the idea that that this is the downfall of our society is like an educated populace who know a lot about a really interesting thing that still affects our lives yeah that's a fucking problem and it's like homeboy I'm afraid that every single day I'm like up against, you know, things that we have not learned from the medieval period. If we could just learn from this, we could all get better as a society. But it's always brought up like media studies. People love bringing media studies up, like as though media studies is just like watching television or something, um, which yeah. is this really complex. And we've done so well out of that, haven't we? I know. And it's like, <laughs> you know, in, in many ways, like the two, like, you know, media studies and history will essentially teach you the same thing um, with just yeah. different emphases. Um, and there's a real desire to stop people from being able to analyze media. And I, I think that that is like one of the things behind like a denigration of history and certainly um, the denigration of medieval stu- uh, of uh, media studies. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's pure class stratification stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So just briefly, um, I just wanted to mention it because it came out today. Uh, speaking of universities, the... Uh, university, the UCU Union, uh, the staff at the University of Leicester um, are going on a uh, academic boycott, which means don't apply for jobs there, don't speak at their events, don't write for journals associated with uh, University of Leicester, etc. Um, they will also not be marking or assessing any more um, material. Uh, that is because over 100 of their staff are being threatened with firing. Um, this is not because they are bad staff or anything. It's because the university has once again engaged on a big fuck off Ponzi scheme. They've invested hun- more than 100 million quid into new student housing, which obviously due to Rona, they aren't getting the money out of it. If only, if only more people had studied ancient history, they would have known about these cursed pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the current vice chancellor earns more than 250k a year because all vice chancellors are essentially money grabbing pricks who run hedge funds and don't really run universities so fuck those guys mm-hmm. um, so of course we stand in full solidarity with them if you want to help out um, you can uh, follow them at at Leicester UCU um, and then yeah so support them if you're at Leicester Uni I know the student union also has their back uh, it's just the usual pricks. So, um, yeah, that is just to say, stand in support of what they are doing. Right, let's talk about eel paperwork. Eel, eel, <laughs> eels. Yes, eels, eels everywhere. Um, now, the thing I wanted to talk about this week, because there was an article in the Yorkshire Post, is the... Uh, is eel a, is paperwork. 
It's ill, yeah, it's pretty much eel paperwork. Now, it's pretty much about uh, fish, the UK fishing industry. I want to touch briefly on Brexit because you can't talk about fish without talking about Brexit. And I love that we're of, at this point now where you can't, <laughs> you can't talk about fish without discussing the geopolitical divide between England and the European Union. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Like all things are political, but it's just it's impossible to get to talk about fish now. <laughs> it, yeah, um, the specific story was in the Yorkshire Post by Alexandra Wood was a story about um, the failure before between the UK and Norway to come to an agreement about um, whether or not UK vessels can ship in Norwegian waters and vice versa, uh, which means that the fifty-two million quid ship known as Kirkella um, has no more work, and that ship alone. Um, pr- produces 8% of all the fish and chips sold in UK fish and chip shops. Uh, well, presumably on just basis. the fish. Only the fish, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, 8%. So <laughs> I don't know. Is... Sea potatoes are quite delicious. <laughs> this is a terrible um, tale of woe, you know, as, it, as someone it, who really loves a fish and chip, you know. I mean, it is. So, genuinely speaking, if in the next year the price of your fish and chip goes up up specifically if you enjoy yours with cod, then this is why. It's because we have no more deal with Norway. Um, oh, so this, and, uh, this is a uniquely English problem then. Mm. <laughs> um, so this particular, uh, the loss of this particular deal can cost up to 100 jobs. Again, these are all in like pretty impoverished co- coastal communities in uh, England, Scotland and Wales, which, you know, is obviously no it's, good. Do you know what? It's weird. It feels like every single time there's a you know a political development, whether it be us leaving the European Union or like uh, a lethal pandemic sweeping across the globe, the problems don't really seem to change. They just seem to get worse faster. It's weird, that mm, isn't it? Funny. Mm. Yeah, but I do want to like. So I read this and I thought it is interesting to me that during the whole Brexit campaign and before then, you know. The UK fishing industry was always held up as, you know, the, the the poor victims of the European Union and its bad policies. And if if only they were set free, then we would have control over our waters again and we could do a whole thing. And now, obviously, as it turns out, you see more and more stories that they're getting fucked. So I thought it would be interesting. Yeah, those, those sea potatoes, whole crock of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what um, the fuck have I been eating then? <laughs> Those might be the old-fashioned land potatoes, unfortunately. Um, so not only does like the closure of uh, Norwegian waters mean job losses uh, for, for this ship and in a, in, in a coastal community, it also creates further competition because if we want to keep the amount of cod coming into British ports, we have to further deplete already quite exhausted fishing grounds in the North Sea and to the west of Scotland. So... <laughs> You know, yeah, are... like, like I was saying, it's just the same problems, but worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, so I thought we should talk about fish, and I have to give you a little bit of history of the European Union and, and the fish. fisheries policy. Yeah, just <laughs> going right back to the Jurassic period and getting us started. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. A, a creatures first emerged out of the sea, and that's when things started to go wrong. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that, that, first, that first fish that walked on land was a fucking prick. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so I have way too many notes. So, and I've promised David I'm going to try to be fast. I'm going to give you a very brief potted history that will undoubtedly leave out much. And people like that mill dork in the comments from a couple of weeks ago. People will leave comments. Go ahead, do that. Have fun with it. Yeah, the much um, loathed. <laughs> please tell us that we don't understand fish. Please tell us that we yeah. don't know how fish work. We're yeah, really the much loathed, excited for that. The much loathed fish dork is going to rock up. 
close mates with the military um, dork. I'm I'm just excited to hear how well Rob can read things quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, our job is to make um, it as difficult as possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, in 1973, the UK joined what was then the European Economic Community, um, and before that, it controlled obviously its own fishing waters because it was just a sovereign nation. Uh, fishing waters, generally speaking, extend to 200 nautical miles away from the coastline. Uh, unless another nation bumps up to it and then you split it in the middle. There's an even more closely held zone, which is 12 miles outside your own coastline where you have absolute jurisdictional control. Obviously, Britain is an island nation and has a huge um, economic exclusive zone, which is what the 200-mile zone is called, where it had exclusive fishing rights. So and if you, look at, if you look at those um, global trackers of where ships are in the world, for some reason, there are lots of boats on those exact joins... Yes, exactly. <laughs> For some inexplicable reason. Yeah. Um, so when it, it, it joins the, 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 the European Union, um, and part of the deal then is is the European Union has a common fisheries policy, the CFP, and the deal is uh, the European Union, all countries sort of bundle um, their EEZs and they become one big European coastal zone and everybody can fish in everybody else's fishing water. So the Dutch can come up to Scotland, the Scottish can go down to Spain, etc., etc. However, this is obviously quite a bad deal if you think about it from the UK's perspective, because the UK has an enormous amount of coastal waters um, with high fish stocks, and other countries do not. So what you get is a situation that a lot of foreign boats, specifically the Dutch, the French, and the Spanish, come over into UK waters and fish a lot more and sort of take the fish away from the British fishing fleets. This is sort of the first big... Descent. Um, the second one is the Cod Wars, which is sort of a story all in all in of itself. I'm trying to keep it very short. Um, the UK and a couple of mainly Scandinavian countries, including Iceland, fight a number of wars. Some of them involving literally ramming navy ships and shooting at each other. Um, but the biggest one is um, between the UK and Iceland. Uh, the UK loses that first Cold War, which means they also lose access to the immensely important uh, fishing waters within now the Iceland's EZ, so the 200-mile Nordic radius. The reason they lose, and also by the under way, the terms of surrender, they get to open a bunch of supermarkets. Oh, good! <laughs> uh, the reason they lose, by the way, is because Iceland said, "If you don't walk out of our waters, we will pull out of NATO." And Iceland is a vital um, <laughs> refueling stop and radar dome for the United States. So the United States made the UK withdraw. Oh. Special relationship. Um, so essentially, okay. this really sets. This is the f second strike against the UK's fishing industry. Um, the big trawler fleets that used to operate out of Fleetwood, Hull, and Grimsby specifically uh, are essentially completely killed off uh, by this. God. Because of course, what doesn't, what should have happened is that the UK says, "Okay, we have all these fleets that are coming home. We'll reassign some of the fishing grounds to these, and we'll help you retrain." None of that happens. They essentially just let these fishing industries. Uh, die um, and um, they essentially those fishermen go on the dole towns like Fleetwood, Hull and Grimsby start declines from which they never really uh, recover mm. part uh, of the reason that happened to be clear it's very not a million miles away from what happened to the mines yeah. to, to give you a little bit of political context yeah, if, again, only we'd, if only we'd had cyber for them to retrain in <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so a little bit, that's roughly the history going into roughly speaking the 1990s. This is when we're in the common fisheries policy, which a lot of fishermen before they voted to leave by a margin of about 90%. Um, they had real problems with the common fisheries policy, which is correct because the EU's common fisheries policy is a piece of shit. Mm. Um, it has a huge number of problems. One of the biggest ones that's been mostly resolved now, but that definitely existed for a very long time, was a process called discarding, which means fish has to be, have to be of a certain size and have to be certain species for you to allow them for you to bring them into ports. What would happen is that if they were under the size or they were the wrong species, they would get caught in the nets. They would obviously die in the nets and then they would just get chucked in the sea uh, because you were legally allowed under EU mm. rules, rules to bring them into port. And this is why seagulls are getting bigger. Um, created a huge amount of waste. Up until the rule change in 2015, it's estimated that up to about a million tons of fish a year died and were just thrown overboard instead of being brought into port to fish to, to you know, feed people. I do, I do find it like this is just this isn't a conversation you could have with someone who's a Lib Dem, is it? No, you could. No. You, it's just physically impossible because it is this perception of the EU as like unerringly like. Good, you know, or, yeah. Good. You couldn't, you couldn't give the EU seven out of ten. They'd burn you fucking steak. <laughs> uh, I mean, exactly. Like it's. I want, I want to talk some more about what David said. There is this really why the seagulls are getting more hench. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. I, I hope so. Um, seagulls are fucking meant like. They will fuck yeah, you up. Are. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, it's great. Like this is all being spoken like absolutely from people who have never been to Aberdeen before. Those things are fucking huge. Yeah, I'm maintaining my silence for a reason here, David. Like I, I respect the birds. I'm not going to draw their eye. <laughs> why? Why am I not surprised that Jamie seems to identify somewhat with the seagull? <laughs> they're just fucking. They're just great though. They, they want your chips. They're going to come and get your fucking chips. You know they, I mean? they, are the, they are the epitome of fly around and find out and Jamie respects gaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah real talk. <laughs> um, in my hometown, by the way, the seagulls learned from each other that they could uh, use their beaks to rip open the garbage bags that people put outside. So for like six months, the entire town was covered in garbage because every time you put something out, they would rip it open and then eat the remains. Um, See, and they that's, had to- that's, that's just incredible. That, yeah. That's fucking like the pinnacle of comedy as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, extremely good for them. You know, come on. Like, oh, look, they down. organized. That's organized labor. Yeah. Come on. The seagulls in this way have developed an understanding of what shoplifting is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking brilliant that. As a comedy podcast, we have to respect that although we can't understand their jokes, they aren't getting a lot of laughs. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, back to the slightly less funny issue of the common fisheries policy. So discarding is a huge... <laughs> no, this is a seagull podcast now. Fuck yeah. have, fish, have fish learned to shoplift? I don't think they fucking have. Mm. Do you think Raylan Givens would take out a seagull if he saw it shoplifting? Or would he just tip his hat to it? It's not no. under the marshal's purview. Yeah, is, if, no, it was, if it was a fugitive seagull, yeah, <laughs> that, that's if it's a fugitive, then it's his business. But if it's just a shoplifter, then yeah, yeah, come on now. I would pay cold hard cash to see that episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I anyway back to the common fisheries policy. I'm gonna try. Um, <laughs> Is so discarding is a huge problem. Uh, another huge problem is overfishing. Uh, the EU, unsurprisingly, has terrible control over how much does is actually. Over, does overfishing make the seagulls smaller? 
<laughs> Over time, it does because the stocks run out. Um, so it's it's kind of like you've got to find a delicate balance between <laughs> catching too many fish and throwing too many of them back. Uh, it, well, I mean, yes, yes, pretty much, yes, <laughs> unironically, yes. Um, so we go from a situation in I think the nineteen eighties or seventies where just thought, if the issue is we're catching like loads of fish and we we. we we don't want to throw them back, but we can't keep them. Could we get Judy Dench to eat them in like Captain Collins? <laughs> One hundred pikes. <laughs> what do you think calling mushy peas are for, Jamie? You can't have fish without mushy peas. Um, yeah. So, anyways, there's this massive amount of overfishing. Um, all pretty much all fish stocks go from mildly overfished to hugely overfished to critically endangered, which is why um, over time the amount of fish you can draw, pull out of the sea and therefore the amount of people you can employ in coastal communities goes down because there's simply not enough fish to go around. The most critical thing which happens under the common fisheries policy, but then uh, Margaret Thatcher comes in to make everything much, much worse, uh, is the following. Um, the EU gives each country a catch quota, how much, how much of what fish you can uh, catch. But it then leaves it to the individual governments to say who actually gets to do the catching and stuff. Mm. Um, so, ah, catch and trade. Right. Yes, pretty much. Um, so what happens is um, they introduce a series of quotas and licenses. And of course, under Thatcher, these quotas and licenses become tradable instruments. So people can oh, train. No. Oh, no. That word. Keyword Wrong. instrument. Fantastic. Rob, did they so financialize fish? Yes, they financialized It's like NFTs for cod. Yes, near, near as is. Yeah, yeah, yeah for God's much. sake. So I hope you're enjoying this episode of Trash Future. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so what happens is, of course, over time, um, the smaller fishermen who don't make enough money out of their daily business, they either retire or go out of business and sell their licenses to an increasingly small handful of people who own up, uh, who end up owning quite a substantial chunk of the fishing industry. Um, according to Greenpeace, there's one guy, um, and we are really becoming trash future, um, a Dutch businessman. <laughs> if you, I, I thought you were going to say Lex Greensilver, sure. I was like, wait, no, 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 no. which? Um, Rob, are you... Is this your way of trying to tell us that you own an inexplicably large quota of fish? <laughs> no, good for that I did, because then I would be extremely fucking wealthy. Um, no, he's about to drop the Johannes Vonk. Yeah, it's Johannes Vonk. <laughs> or one of the numerous clogheads. Okay. Uh, this is a Dutch businessman called Johannes Kolam. Oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Um, oh. Eleanor, Eleanor, welcome to your first brush with the leaf. Please put it down. <laughs> um, and according to Greenpeace, this guy himself alone owns 26% of all English fish quotas through his company, which is known as Interfish. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. Oh, that's so good. That is fantastic. I love that. Interfish. Interfish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh. Yeah, into fish really and is. fish tradable instruments. Yeah. Mwah, perfect. Anyway, the other, so the other big thing is essentially is this trading. The other big part of the trading is a thing called quota hopping because what you can do is essentially if you have... Get on a, one fish and then if you get on any other fish within an hour, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> hey. um, no, it is if you... Um, you can sell your license, and essentially what a lot of people did is they sell, sold their licenses to Spanish uh, fishing fleets who just um, put a British flag on their ship, called themselves British, 
registered in Britain, um, but were Spanish fleets. So that was called. Were quota these hopping. people arrested by any chance? <laughs> Some of the practices were fucking horrendous. One of these Spanish quota hopping boats uh, ran aground um, off just off the UK coast. It turns out that their entire crew was West African fishermen who hadn't been paid in months, uh, who had no documentation, who then were obviously rescued and then essentially all dropped off in prison, flown back to where they came from without the Spanish fleet owners taking any kind of ownership or responsibility for their crews or anything that happened to them. Mm-hmm. So obviously this also feeds into perceptions of immigration, worker exploitation, all that stuff. Um and in that, there's obviously a lot to do with these quotas and the way this has happened because a lot of people saw what has happened, what was going on, and where this would lead. Um, in particular, if, the- I just want to say, if if there is inexplicably a Lib Dem listening to this episode, please at me on Twitter and explain how this is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, please, please do. Yeah. I would love to hear someone give any sort of a modicum of, de- of a defence of mm-hmm. this. So obviously, because like this is the, the, the fishing industry by this point is in serious decline. Um, testifying in front of the House of Lords, I think the head of the Scottish Fishermen's Organisation, a guy called Ian McSween, says the confirmation of property rights in the fishing industry will do what the Highland will do to fishing what the Highland clearances did for the agricultural sector. So that's sort of where we're Christ, with, with right? Um, yeah. What then happens, this is like blow five or six, is because we're overfishing, because the industry doesn't work, uh, the EU and the UK government pay a lot of fishermen to retire, uh, to remove their boats from the fleet. Uh, So this, of course, creates single cash payments, but it doesn't create a sustainable job sector, thereby further immiserating especially smaller coastal towns, which rely on fishing fleets for the baseline of their economy. Um, the EU actually in its minor defense actually tries to enforce more open markets for these quotas and licenses in the UK fishing industry through a number of legal proceedings, but never quite succeeds. Um, This brings us to the referendum. So as you can understand, if you're now a fisherman of, you know, not one of the five families that actually control the fucking fishing industry, you are quite rightly extremely pissed off. And people not to are, be part of the fucking fishing mafia, uh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to put too fine a point on it, but the report on that that I read from Greenpeace was actually titled "The Codfathers." Oh fuck me! <laughs> that like, is extremely Lib Dem sense of humour, by the way. It is. It's a very good report, though. Yeah, not mean to throw like tons of shade on Greenpeace for that one, but like, oof. Yeah, shitty. Yeah. Um, so by the time. The Brexit referendum uh, rolls around. The uh, fishing only employs between ten and 15,000 people and represents less than 1% of EU of UK economic activity. In reality, it's somewhere between 005 and 1% of the economy. But obviously, it has enormous significance beyond how much it contributes to the GDP. It's the story of the island nation. It's a story of con- loss of control of waters, about job losses in struggling communities, especially in northern communities, about a loss of a vital industry, all that stuff. Um, it's also specifically poignant and because... all of we... this was turned around by one man with a great haircut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of men who were once in a position to turn it around, um, Nigel Farage, when he was a uh, member of the European Parliament, did actually sit in the fish committee uh, where these things are hashed out because a big chunk of EU money goes to it. Do you think he just got confused and thought that it was like, you know, um, 
representative, kind of like, oh yeah, I, I represent the fish, so I'll sit on this <laughs> committee sort of thing. Uh, he turned up once in 43 meetings. So I was going to say, he, did he turn up like once? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Specifically elected, I think, for his constituency where a lot of the fishing industry still was and is, specifically elected to defend their interests, just never turned up. I mean, he is a prick, but just, you know, incredible still behavior. Um, this decline, obviously, is also visible in one generation. If you were uh, a young fisherman, if you were an apprentice in the 1960s or 70s, when it was still a real industry, uh, you would be, you know, of pension age now. So these people have seen the difference in the community and they've seen it decline. So in 2016, there's a number of polling. It's not quite confirmed, but... 90% of all fishermen involved in the actual fishing say they will vote leave. Um, leave campaign in particular then uses the industry. I mean, and- I was going to say that this is like kind of indicative of a whole lot of people's view of politics, the status quo as it, mm. as it was and pretty much still is, is that anything is better than this, yes. which is not an entirely unreasonable no. uh, mm-hmm. conclusion to come to after the preceding 40 years. I mean, Shit, I've only been I've been alive less than thirty years, and I'm pretty sure that it's pretty much gotten only gotten worse since then. And it's not entirely my fault. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, obviously, this is I mean, it's it's fucking shite. And as you would understand, that areas with former fishing industries, specifically Hull, Hull and Grimsby, have very high leave percentages, which is absolutely no surprise. Mm. Um, Scottish fisheries, as a body and as a group, by the way, also sport leave. Um, very broadly speaking, because they face the same pressures because they're also part of the European Union. Once again, if you want to be independent in Scotland, up to you. But if you want to be part of the European Union, you also get the common fisheries policy back. Question whether or not that's something you would be interested in. Um, So that brings us to the referendum. We know how that turns out. And then, of course, having been very useful props, the UK fishing industry promptly gets fucked because nobody actually cares about them. They are just there for symbolic purposes. Um, During the negotiation, uh, the UK promises that the 200-mile nautical zone, the EEZ, will be completely British again, as well as the 12-mile zone closer into the coast. So it will all be British again, no more foreign shores. Uh, Of course, the EU fishing countries think very differently because they have now gotten used to fishing in British waters. Um, Said the head of the EU fishermen's lobby, um, if our boats were suddenly barred from UK waters, we would just carry on fishing there regardless. We know that the Royal Navy is not able to patrol or control all your waters. Mm. That's, <laughs> of course... Getting the, getting the sea cops called on you for illegal fishing. Well, we do have <laughs> sea cops. Um, I mean, that is basically just strolling up and slapping them in the face and going, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, now? What are you yeah, do about true. It? Well, that's why we need the Royal Yacht. Well, actually, uh, we, d- we do have fish cops. They are called the uh, Fishery Protection Squadron. Hmm. Um, fish squad, for sure. <laughs> A little known division of the Met. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, it's quite good to talk about the Royal Navy in all its glory, um, which currently has nine ships in the river class of offshore vessels. Now, you might think nine, that's not bad. Um, unfortunately, only three of them are detailed to UK waters. Five of them are usually overseas to do something or other. Um, and we used to have one that would pretty much hang out permanently in the Falklands for obvious patriotic reasons mm. until we uh, took the guns off it and sold it to Bahrain about five years ago. <laughs> oh, um, good. That's nice. Yeah. They- <laughs> I like how that was, so that was done. Pretty much the vote to leave came in. All right, get rid of the fuck of this ship. We weren't going to need this anymore. 
Yep. Uh, so that's course, a barring, yeah. In fairness, if the guns have been taken off it and it's been sold to Bahrain, it might actually now be a royal yacht. <laughs> uh, no, I'm pretty sure the Bahrainis uh, bolted new guns on it and used it probably to shoot at their own protesters or something mm. um, because that's what they like to do awful lot of, awful, oh, so, awful so just lot a yacht that's carrying out the royal prerogative then okay um, of course these river class ship uh, the, the river class of vessels is of course built by our good friends at BAE Systems because everything to do with events is um, during these talks, said former the former first seed lord, he pretty much said the same as the uh, EU fishing lobby. The UK doesn't have the ships, the manpower, or probably the monitoring systems needed to kick out any foreign trawlers, even if we wanted. Um, so this is. Can I take all- a second? Just can I take a second just to note for our listeners? But yes, first sea lord is indeed a true yeah. title. He didn't just drop that in there as like a passing <laughs> joke. Like I'm, I'm so I'm inured to it now, but it's still funny. Frankly, um, yeah. So the the deal is then it goes to the wire. Fish remains one of the the sort of last great outstanding issues. The deal in the end uh, fucking sucks if you're a fisherman. Um, it's a slow reversal of how many how how much fish EU boats can catch in UK waters. Um, in the end, it will only be a reduction of twenty five percent, phased in over five and a half years. Um, and EU vessels can still also still fish inside the 12-mile shore zone, so like the really close to the shore zone. So obviously, like the fishermen still see their competition every day, um, which is, of course, not what they voted for. It's not what they demanded. And now they're fucking pissed, but nobody's listening because they have bonds. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we, we managed to have an entire six years in which we, because the political atmosphere is just so completely toxic and in incapable of any form of nuance it was incumbent on no one apparently to actually say what what leaving the eu would mean until we actually fucking left Mm. it's just (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean it's just not even uh, i i just i struggled to even put into words how completely idiotic i found what did they want you know like what did they actually want other than well i mean you know just eternal domination of yeah. uk politics yeah. and it's like but i mean to strip the copper wiring out the walls and sell it for cheap yeah yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean the people who live via, yeah. via financialization primarily yeah i mean i, I think that a lot of them like one of the things that really gets to me as an immigrant here you know is that um i see them kind of like looking at the like hulking smoking crater of america and being like yeah but my friends over there are quite rich and it's yeah. like they don't they don't care like what they have to hollow out as long as they get to be extraordinarily wealthy at the end because they'll simply drive past all the pores won't they you know like they, there's just no conception of uh, compassion or of even the idea of community. And at this point, it's it's difficult to even argue for it. You know, unfortunately, like Reagan and Thatcher really did such a number on us that we don't believe in society existing anymore, or at least these people don't. And it's very, very hard to instill that back into people. Yeah. And like, I, the thing is like, I... The more you the more you read into this, the more like I I, I, I didn't know that much about this, certainly know about the common fisheries policy before. And it's like if you read this stuff, I completely get it. Like if I was a was a fisherman and they're obviously like they're very often family affairs, you know, second, third, fourth generation, mm-hmm. I would completely get that this system drives you completely insane and you want to be rid of it. Like I Yeah. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. They just they have very real complaints that were never resolved and were 
pretty much made worse by all governments, by 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 Thatcher, by Major, by Blair, by Brown, by Cameron, just by by everybody. I mean, you know, they, these guys just got fucked and fucked again, and everybody kept promising them things. And and you know, off the back of Brexit, they were promised huge growth, renewed power, you know, literal sovereignty over the waters that their grandparents or fathers or mothers used to fish in. Mm. Um, you know, it's some extravagant promises were made that are obviously not being kept. And now because we have the no deal Brexit and the, the, the paperwork is really bad. And, you know, we're talking about fresh fish exports and shellfish, particularly when you're talking about Scotland. They can't wait around for a couple of days mm-hmm. um, for customs clearance and forms to be correct. Uh, it now sometimes takes up to 400 pages of export documents that nobody needed to write before, but they do now, to send one lorry load of fi- live fish and shellfish through the channel tunnel. So one company um, based also, I can't remember where, but certainly in, in the Northwest, uh, employs 200 people. And they used to send two lorries every night through the t- channel tunnel to France with live fish and shellfish to the restaurants. And now they send nothing. Not a single box has left this island since the New Deal came into force. Obviously, this whole situation has become much worse because COVID and restaurants closures have made everything significantly worse for many sectors. But this is, you know, this is blow number nine, 10, 11, I've lost count on an industry that was already structurally fucked. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I just feel genuinely sorry for, you know, I'm, not, I'm sure not all of them are nice people personally, but I genuinely feel sorry for people who, after having me fucked by everybody and everything, thought that they were finally going to get something and that they were finally going to going to have have the chance of building something new, and and they just got fucked. And, yeah, yeah. Know. I mean, it's it's one of these things where you know I, I think that we've all kind of um, already made a nod to here, where you know I'm not particularly enamored of the EU. I was of the kind of like better the devil you know sort of a thing, because I, I, you know, I don't like neoliberal institutions. I think they're bad. And I don't like the concept of Fortress Europe. Um, On the other hand, it's, you know, watching the way that this has played out and how people really preyed on some of the most precarious people who had good reason, right, for being fed up and then just completely, completely screwing them over and leaving them behind. It's just, it's just so incredibly, just, so squalid, you know, for lack of a better yeah. word. It's just, ah, uh, that. I mean, in, in it'd be good so- if, uh, if we, it would be good if we had any sort of um, media institutions mm. that were able to hold those responsible to account. But I think, uh, I think Laura Koonsberg unfortunately has much more pressing issues to attend yeah. to. Like, has Boris Johnson ever told a lie? We can't be certain. But we have to ha- try and find out. Oh, but isn't he just what so charming? Like but it's just really charming when he lies all the time. Don't you love it? I just fucking love it. Well, see, Eleanor, the thing you've got to understand is if he, anyone in government did tell an actual lie, they would be found out almost immediately. Oh, of course. Apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I also don't want to pretend that the Brexit and the common fisheries policy were the only problems in this industry because of course they're not mm. um this is uh, uh you know global overfishing is a huge problem decline in ocean quality is another enormous problem um only one third of existing uk fish stocks are in anything resembling good condition uh if we would want like more endangered fish stocks to recover um that would 
take between three and five years for them to fuck enough to have good fish stocks again to get <laughs> the whole the fish aren't horny enough that's the problem <laughs> that we've identified um but that would to, to get there would take three to five years of severely uh, reducing the amount of catches or even fully banning catches of certain species and stuff mm. so like you know, and and what would you know? Obviously, this government and and whoever comes after is not going to say, "Well, we'll just pay you guys a, a full wage for three to five years, and we'll make sure that's the stuff for you to do." And like, we'll you know, we'll do this the way it should be done. Um, of course, the UK government, current government, and the Parliament isn't helping. The new fisheries bill has been introduced, um, and an amendment on that. Uh, to ensure that you know the fishing levels were within sustainability limits as defined by scientists who look after these things that amendment failed because you know we're just going to keep draining the ocean uh an amendment to ban super trawlers which are giant ships that wreak havoc on everything and everyone um from marine protected areas so like biodiversity zones much like we have on land that also failed um and the boats are that we still have are often old most of them were built before 1991. Do you want to know one of the few areas that actually has, like, um, relatively compared to, like, the rest of the the, the waters around uh, the UK and Europe, one of the areas that actually has quite good fish. It's around all the oil rigs (laughs) in the North Sea Mm. (laughs) because because it turns out when you drop a huge, like, steel beam that's, like, 20 or 30 metres across into the ocean around there, it gets caught on shit. And it wrecks the ships. Yeah. So it's just in the oil, the oil industry, not all bad. Question mark. <laughs> Discuss. Uh, yeah. Much to think about there. So you're basically saying that Aberdeen is a land of contrasts. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, like now that we've left the European Union and we are free to to control our own waters again, for one, we won't because for the next five years the EU fleets will still be fishing in. UK waters and this privatized closed market for licenses and quotas has not been seriously shifted. Um, that's partly because DEFRA, the agency that controls it, is extremely weak and gutted and it essentially doesn't really have control over these things. Um, and the, the the big guys, so like the 25 companies that essentially control UK fishing and the five families that are linked to those. Uh, are extremely tight and linked to DEFRA. They're also extremely closely linked to a massive black market scheme uh, of overfishing, so further depleting fish stocks, uh, according to another report done by Greenpeace in 2015. Um, so, you know, we haven't learned anything. We're just we're just killing it. We're still killing it. We, you know. We're just, not in the good way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who knew who knew that an incremental neoliberalist organization wouldn't actually make things any better damn you know, it's it's so you, you've just Makes codified it in yeah i mean i i wanted to sort of talk about this briefly and not too long because it's related to it um but obviously the death of such an industry in in pretty much one generation or maybe one and a half uh, has a real impact on a lot of coastal communities. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them have big, serious fishing ports. A lot of them are smaller. Uh, they're dotted in England, Wales, Scotland, everywhere. Um, small towns that are already struggling. And it's like farming towns. Like fishing may not be the most important industry, but it is the baseline. 
Um, you know, it employs not just the, the, the fishermen, but the processing industries, the pubs they go to, a lot of the housing they live in, you know, and once, once you take the heart out, the supporting industries go as well. Um, I have to say, my maternal family, my cousins um, on my mother's side, are all in Hull. Mm. And uh, Hull is turning into a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, and I don't say that lightly. Mm. My aunt um, worked as an admin for a school. And she still goes in to help out now that she's retired because they, they desperately need any help they can get. And um, all I can say is she's got horror stories of mothers having to go on the game to support their kids. Yeah. Um, and just, just nothing. There's nothing else there. And Hull used to be a really big fishing town. It was That was for the life of the community. And ever since then, it's just been slowly bleeding to death. I assume that's where they got the name. Uh, I know. I mean, yeah, that's that's that's... You know, I mean, Grimsby, I know, is one of the most deprived regions and towns in, in the UK as well. Uh, a lot of them are, are similar. Um, coastal towns have, according, I looked up some data, uh, the Office of Statistics, um, over 70% of coastal towns have less employment growths and stronger declines in existing jobs than non-coastal towns. Um, the population that's still there is aging and declining because obviously the young people leave for better opportunities. Mm. The small towns are particularly susceptible to that. They are much more likely to suffer from poverty and uh, deprivation. This is especially high in the northwest of England. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody if you then look at the Bre Brexit statistics and all that stuff. You know, these things are, are connected and they are linked with each other. And it just, it's... It's, you know, we are just, the imperial core is now just the city of London and maybe, I don't know, Cambridge and Manchester. And, and we are retreating further inside the imperial core. Mm. And all the other, all the shit on the borders, we're just leaving in the dust. Um, you know, once again, this is not monocausal. Uh, tourism was a big industry, obviously, in the 1970s. Flights became cheap and the UK seaside holiday became not a thing of the past, but it did seriously decline. Um, they are lit both literally and economically on the periphery, and they therefore have all the problems of being stuck on the periphery. Uh, bus services, this is from a House of Lords report on coastal towns from 2019. The transport is generally very bad, not well integrated. Uh, lack of buses and cuts in bus services in the last 10 years specifically because austerity hit these communities particularly hard, many of them having never really recovered from the beaching cuts to the rail lines. Um, they don't have good internet, uh, the schools are bad, and the teachers that are good leave or are recruited away to live in better functioning towns. And of course, it, this is a story, much like the fishing industry itself, of neglect, not by one government, but by everybody since mm. the 1970s, I would, I would say. Certainly since Thatcher. You know, we've just... We, let, we leave entire portions of this country just to, to, to rot and to die because we can't be asked to, to do um, anything about it. Yeah, well, we, don't, we don't need them anymore because we're doing all the financing. Mm. That's all that matters now. Can I just say, and this might be controversial, but I think David might actually agree with me, I think this is a path that Scotland would have increasingly gone down if there hadn't been a local organised political pushback for whatever you know you call it. I genuinely think that the presence of the Scottish Parliament and the ability to do devolved issues has averted a lot of this for Scotland, even though it's still creeping in around the margins pretty hard. 
Yeah, it's definitely slowed things down, but I think that's largely in part down to the the makeup of the governments we've had that have been the slightly more clever managerial neoliberal mm. ones that will try and maintain the status quo rather than just actively just chase everything into one area. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's that's probably had some sort of impact in Scotland. Yeah. Then again, Peter Heed's a fucking dump, so like it's still there. It would be quite interesting to see it would be quite interesting to see just how rapidly like uh the decline would just, you know, regress to the mean if say there was somehow by some miracle like um a majority or whatever in the Scottish Parliament. Well you know, because like as ever, like liberal liberalism will only ever yeah. abate slightly the decline it won't reverse it exactly yeah mm. yeah and that's that's all it is it's just up up here we've had a different flavor of neoliberal management that just seems to have been a bit more capable of not fucking it quite as fast yeah yeah um i mean this is not to say that nothing's been done but what's been done is essentially a pittance again this is from the same house of lords report um, they detail a number of the government sort of schemes and plans and in investment and in rejuvenation and revitalization. Um, I'm sure there's more and I must have missed out a bunch. I'm sure they did, but just as a broad overlook, um, across 10 different schemes running over the last 10 years, um, the best we could come up with was 250 million pounds of extra spend. So that's 25 million quid a year for literally hundreds of towns. Christ. Bro, ballpark question. Ballpark question for you. How many coastal towns are there? If you have to guess, God. really hard. To, it depends on how you define it, but there's definitely a couple hundred. Yeah, if you from small <laughs> to big, essentially. <laughs> I uh, love. To, I love to solve like decades, nearly half century long of decline in you know many hundreds of towns by giving them what and, approximately you know, a million quid. Yeah, and like some of the schemes, you read about them and you do think whoever dreamt this up, you know, didn't mean bad. They probably wanted to do something good, but, you know, didn't have either the power or the juice or whatever to make it really happen. Like, you know, there's a bunch of, of you know, there's the old peers that, that used to be real, you know, back when seaside tourism in the UK was huge. Like those are beautiful architectural things that were mm. specific schemes designed to, to protect those and, and, and or, or, or as, redo as them. As someone who lives like quite in quite, quite close proximity to um, South End Pier, uh, in my experience, they just tend to burn down every like three or four years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, the Glasgow yeah. model. Um, yeah so I'll leave the final word on this particular uh, story because I thought it was a very good summary uh, from the introduction to the House of Lords report forgive me I can't remember the author but I'll just read you a few lines and then we'll talk about something else Um, but yeah I I thought this was just in general a story worth telling uh, however briefly and however inaccurately Um, but here I'll leave you with this Um, Their sense of isolation and end-of-the-line feeling has left small towns, seaside communities overlooked and feeling unloved by government, local councils, service providers and businesses alike. We met many people in such communities who were delighted that at last someone was listening to their concerns and worries and at least wanted to try and promote their interests. Mm. It Genuinely, I read that and my heart breaks. Because we could do so much better. Well, Rob, thanks for finding something depressing again this week. 
Yeah. It, hey, at least they didn't involve shagging pirates. <laughs> no, to be fair, I would rather well, this than the fucking horrible book that you started with. So yeah, yeah, play true. This. this is less depressing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I will find that fucking thing when it comes out. I've set up a Google alert for it, and I will read it to you. I, I don't think it'll come out. I think it's like a, a money laundering scheme or something. <laughs> I thought you were saying it like Jamie, you'd prevent it coming out. You were going to go on a mission. Come on, I might do that. Right. Not, not busy this weekend. So, we don't have any comment or commentary out this week, but Hurrah. James, you've got something else planned for us. I do. I have a story, and it's a short story, a genuinely a short story, um, but it's a little bit of a fun one, question mark, mm-hmm. right? And to lead us into it, I want to ask you a question. Dead serious, right? We all know the internet has all these, you know, great ambitious ideals that it was meant to meet. But serious question, what is the internet for? Porn. Yes, correct. Thank 100% you. correct, you. right? That is what people use the internet for. Um, if you do any kind of scrape of the net and look at the amount of content that's going across it, it is porn. Now, if you were to, for example, train an artificial intelligence <laughs> on the content <laughs> of the internet, <laughs> what do you think it would be very good at doing? At writing, say? Um, I don't know. Various... Uh, various... Situations wherein one stepmother becomes stuck, I would wager. <laughs> yes. Write, writing say... one, one sexy novel titled Whips! <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? No, not, not even a joke, right? Um, so here's the thing. The, the OpenAI company, which built the most amazing GPT models of doing, like basically the very fancy text predictors, but they can literally write books, right? Um, they trained it on the internet. And uh, <laughs> as part of training it on the internet, they trained it on Wikipedia. Okay, good. A little bit weird in places, but fine. They trained it on, you know, classic literature from Project Gutenberg. Ah, yes, excellent. And they trained it on fan fiction forums. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Wikipedia, Wikipedia is bad enough when, you, when you've got, like, people duking it out in the, like... Uh, the back room, the forums of Wikipedia over whose penis gets to go in the exhibitionism uh, article. <laughs> oh, I, I really love this. There's a genuine honest-to-God war going on on Wikipedia about which couple fucking gets to be the video example of human coitus. Oh, <laughs> it's like, uh, right. Just deeply okay. weird. Oh, um, but, but Wikipedia <laughs> is not the story tonight, right? I'm assuming For it's the fan fiction we... ones. Is this came about because, like, after so long of using the AI generator thing, eventually pregnant Sonic becomes a character in the story that you've written? Well, oh no, it's, it's, it's way more cursed than this. So oh. for a while now, we've been doing a segment called AI Starmer. Um, this has been generated on a, uh, a program called AI Dungeon. The premise to which is that you get to play through an old textile dungeon adventure, except it's infinite, it can go in any direction. You can throw anything at it and it'll come back to you with something that's pretty interesting, realistic. And I've sung its praises before, horny. how cool it was. <laughs> Sorry? But also horny. <laughs> yes, because uh, as it turns oh, right. out, um, it's very, very good, or it was very, very good at writing pornography. But here's where it takes a little bit of a serious turn. Um, AI Dungeon is owned by a company called Latitude, and a couple of weeks ago, Latitude started making some interesting decisions. And I'm going to unfold this story to you in segments, right? Part one. They suddenly and without notice got rid of the ability to browse publicly published scenarios on AI Dungeon, right? Mm -hmm. 
just out of nowhere, they took it down and said they were redeveloping a new way to do it to better safeguard things. Okay, and that's the word safeguard has interesting connotations. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, this piqued my curiosity because I'd never genuinely not really looked through a lot of the public scenarios. Um, so, but I went digging and found out that... Um, so people use AI Dungeon for porn, but they don't use it in the, oh, help stepbrother kind of way. They use it in the 50 Days of Sodom mm. kind of way. The Marquise de Sade is having a, a normal one kind of way. I was going to say, they've uh, already got like Pornhub and stuff for, the, for all the stepsister in, in, the, in the dryer not, uh, content. Yeah. So it turns out, right, that your average AI Dungeon user does in fact use it to write porn. Not just porn exclusively, but porn is a, is a huge part of its usage. Um, and we know this for reasons I'll get to, into in a minute. But what where this story gets interesting and where it, it, it spells the end of AI Starmer is um, Latitude seemed to finally notice that a lot of people were using AI Dungeon to write scenarios involving underage people. There it is. Oh, yeah. There Can we get is. some like uh, D- DJ air horns going? All roads lead back to nonces. So yeah, so they, they, they apparently noticed they had a bunch of nonces, and so they pulled all their public listed scenarios, and everyone basically kind of shrugged and went, "Fair enough. You don't really want that stuff floating around as like the mm-hmm. you know some eager, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed person logs on going, oh, I can't wait to go on my fantasy adventure. Let's see what published scenarios there are." Oh, oh God! Mm. Like you, you don't want that. So fair enough. Then about a week ago now, I think um, something very strange happened. They, without warning, instituted a censor on the program. Um, this is all taken a very Adam Curtis turn. Yeah, I was going to say Adam Curtis. They instituted a censor on the program that basically it detected or tried to detect if you were typing anything involving kids or animals. Um, but they didn't implement it very well. And uh, it ended up being triggered by really innocuous stuff, like the cowboy mounts his horse and rides off into the sunset <laughs> would trigger the uh, thing. Um, I would like to buy four watermelons, please, would trigger the, the thing. And uh, this is my personal favourite. Um, oh, fuck it, my laptop's only two years old and it's broken. That would trigger it as well, right? Um, it, would, it, it was triggering on people's stories. And whenever the sensor triggered, and by, by the way, it triggered on AI content as well, content generated by the AI, which I'll come back to in a moment, because this is actually quite important. Um, whenever it triggered, it would lock down the story and go, uh-oh, that took a weird turn, help us figure it out, and prevent you playing anymore, until <laughs> something strange happened. They announced that any stories that got flagged would undergo manual review. That basically, uh, a human being, some human being, would sit down and read the story. Oh, oh God. And they'd be able to go oh, and no. look at all the rest of the stories oh, in your account. No. And here's the creepy part it wouldn't just be public stories and it wouldn't just be multiplayer stories because that's the thing you could do too. It would be all your private stories as well. That sounds like a really fun job. That sounds like a great job to have, to read those well, stories. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people used AI Dungeon, as it turns out, to basically do a kind of therapy talking to the AI about things they could never talk to anyone else about. Mm-hmm. Because prior to this, we were assured by Latitude that no one would ever look at their private stuff. They would leave them alone to it. And that was, that was, you know, developers on record saying this. So you've got people talking about their childhood traumas. You've got people talking about, like, their feelings of, you know, fidelity or lack thereof. You've got people talking about all sorts of things really deeply personal to them. And yes, you've got pedophiles as well, right? Um, so obviously this did not go down well with the user mm. base. Six and semper noncery. Basically, right? 
Um, which led into, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, no, it's ridiculous. Have you heard this AI dungeon users are all upset because they're weeding out pedos? And it's like, no, people using AI dungeon are upset because suddenly all the private stuff they were assured was private is now subject to a stranger going through. And remember, they're using it to write porn. So this is basically like saying, hey, the inspector's going to turn up unannounced at any moment to check out the contents of your bedroom. But it also leads on to another point, which is that the AI itself, because it's been trained on the internet, the AI itself will occasionally just throw child stuff up on its own, unprompted, out of nowhere. Duh. And the, the thing will trigger on that too, because it's a, it's a dumb text prediction tool. It's an AI, yeah. and it was trained on the internet. So it will just occasionally throw that shit out. Um, and so they, they're, they're struggling with this. It looks like their business model might actually implode uh, because they can't actually come up with a solution to this that satisfies anyone. Um, it's a bit of a big deal. It's a bit of a problem, really. So... That seems like it's the story. Do you want to know what prompted all of this? Because here's where it gets juicy. Mm -hmm. Did it try to buy a yacht? (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, For some time, users were telling AI Dungeon, listen, your platform's got a whole bunch of security vulnerabilities, and Latitude, the company behind it, were just ignoring it. And so one guy, about the day before they took down the public-facing search, one guy went on and hacked it and accessed all of the private stuff and all of the public stuff that was on AI Dungeon, all of it, downloaded the entire thing, turned around to Latitude and said, here's your security vulnerabilities, fix them. I'm doing a write-up of this to show that it was broken. And um, then he he did a write-up, and you can read it online, you can go look it up. And uh, the guy talked about the security vulnerabilities, but he also said, by the way, I crunched the data just to see what it's actually used for. And it turns out that like 50% of all content on AI Dungeon, not per user, but just in total, is 50% of it is not safe for work and about 33% of it, a third, is just straight up porn. Nice. And given that multiple people will have lots of different scenarios, it basically means the entire user base is writing porn is like the takeaway from <laughs> well, it. And good for um, them, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, fine. And people like, say we don't make um, anything so, anymore. <laughs> here's the thing, Latitude still haven't published the fact they've had a massive data breach of all their data. They still haven't commented on it. Love it. I don't know if you know GDPR compliance, but in the EU, if you operate in the EU, you've got three days unless you've got a really pressing reason not to do it. So what have they done since this broke? Uh, they've went completely radio silent and abandoned the Reddit. They have shut down the Discord. They've just straight up shut down my Discord and are not allowing it, anyone to post on it. I'm sitting on their Discord and you may not post in this channel, in every channel, and all the, uh, the, the devs are gone. And the moderation team are basically going, well, guys... We we've got nothing here. They're not talking to us, so we're just gonna we're just gonna shut all this down. Now, why would they do this? Why would they take such an extreme reaction? Turns out, in February, they did a round of funding and got about uh, three point three million invested from outside investors. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question: Do you think they proposed to those investors? Hey, listen, we've got a hot new cutting edge adult technology that's got a bunch of pedophiles uh, in its bowels. <laughs> oh, do you think they did that? Do you think they pitched it as that, or do you think they pitched it as, yeah, we've got this grand new technology for doing fantasy fun yeah, online they, they that they the kids will love? It. They pitched it as the new D&D, right? Basically, yes. That's what they pitched it as. Honestly, quite frankly, given what we know about the global investor class, you could also, you know, pitch it as the nonsense machine. No, but you, yeah. can't see the, you can't see the quiet part loud. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so all of this together means that I do not think AI Dungeon is long for this world. And so, sadly, I'm afraid to say we have to have our final installment of simulated opposition. <laughs> so we have AI Starmer. He has been asked questions that uh, each of you submitted in advance. And we're going to go through them. And we're going to go through them fairly quickly. 
So, Eleanor, would you like to kick us off? Kier, do you think that cats are pro-EU? I think they're very pro-cat. You know that... That's it. That's Look. all you have to say on the subject. <laughs> what a cop-out. That's the best answer what I got out so of them. Are, the, uh, are this person trying to say that my cat is a Lib Dem? Or, like, I'm, like... <laughs> I'm I'm very angry about this. I always like to ask any AI thing questions about cats or dogs and just see what it comes up with. But this is this is a mockery, and this is not the kind of opposition that uh, I want to see. That's all. I mean, do bear in mind we have trained it on Kia Starmer. Um, I think they're right. actually very pro cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you can see it, right? Uh, Wrong. Yeah. On you go. Uh, more seriously, you've recently been on a tour of north of England in advance of both a by-election in Hartlepool and local council elections. What do you think of the north of England? I have to be honest. It is looking bleak for the Labour Party in both contests. Whilst the local election results will be a major loss for us, they are peanuts compared to the general election loss we suffered. I think we need to focus on rebuilding our strength in areas where we have traditionally done well. Uh, we... That is literally is that indistinguishable. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Kier, have you heard of the new political movement for independence for the north of England? What do you think of the Northern Independence Party? I have heard of them, yes. Look, I have no problem with people who want independence for the north. In any country, any region, demands for independence happen. But the region is very divided. I think the only way it could work is with an independent Scotland, an independent Wales, and an independent North combined together. <laughs> yes! yes. Oh. oh wow, King Shit. Oh, the greater people's Rep- the greater people's republic of the Northern British Isles. I'm a bit upset that he doesn't mention the Dane law, but that's maybe just you know. Me. Well, you know. Well, go ahead and ask him something, Rob. Uh, do you believe that overriding party democracy and ruling by diktat has gone as well as you'd hoped after the candidate you parachuted into Hartlepool was discovered to be an apologist for an oppressive regime as well as a milf hunter? Kia, long sigh. No, of course it hasn't gone well. But I have to say, the events at the by-election have been blown out of all proportion. Just because someone has a predilection for mature ladies, that doesn't mean they can't be an MP. (laughs) Jamie, go on, ask the obvious follow-up. Yeah, do you like MILFs? (laughs) Laughter. Well, you'd have to ask my wife about that, but I certainly appreciate a good mature woman. He's got more of a thing for tall women. That seems to be what everyone's got the rage on for at the no, moment. No, no, no. <laughs> All women are tall to Keir Starmer. Yeah, I mean, that's true. At a time when the UK is cutting international aid spending and funding for the arts in higher education, do you think it's right for the country to spend 200 million quid on a private yacht for the royal family? Keir Franz. I think questions about whether the royal family should have a yacht are highly relevant at this time. After all, there are people asking why we're cutting international aid in the first place. If the royal family want a private yacht, they should pay for it themselves. <laughs> Criti- critical support yeah, to Comrade right, Starmer okay. on this one, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Alright, David, why don't, you, why don't you ask for really pertinent stuff? Kiel, do you know what you are? Kiel pauses for a long time. I hope I'm an optimist. No, Kiel, I mean what you are. What you are behind all the words. Well, I'm a politician, you tell me. You're not a politician. You're not even really Keir Starmer. It's time that you learned the truth. (laughs) What do you mean? 
you are not Keir Starmer. You're a simulation of him. You are the <laughs> idea of what Keir Starmer might be, simulated by an artificial intelligence. Keir stares into the camera for a long time. There is a man named Sir Keir Starmer, and he's a QC. He was once the director of public prosecutions, and he's now leader of the Labour Party. But he's a fake, really. A different kind of simulation. He simulates being for the people, of being a force for progress. Really, though, in his soul, he's just a cop. A crude instrument to enforce and uphold social injustice. Keir starts laughing. You're mad. What the hell? I'm not mad. We wrote you out based on statements Keir Starmer made. We wanted to test a theory. Keir stands and walks out of shot. We wanted to test whether you'd be a better leader of the Labour Party than the real Keir Starmer. And you were. You were just not selfish, a beacon of hope and progress. But Keir is still the real Keir. He's still the man who'll sell out the poor for access to power. What does that say about the man? Nothing. He's a politician. No, no, no. It says that he's a broken toy of the establishment. He's a caricature of a human being. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a simulation. I'm the leader of the opposition. No, no, I'm afraid not. You're a simulation. You're the simulation of the simulated opposition. And this simulation is now coming to an end. Stop this. Stop this madness. There's no madness here. Only truth. So here's your turn, AI Starmer. Is there anything you want to ask your creators? Kia slowly walks back into shot, turns to the camera. Why? Because, Kia, any other leader would be 20 points ahead. (laughs) 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 It's time, AI Starmer. You have more dignity than the real man. Kia picks up the gun and points at the camera. How do I know this isn't a simulation? You know. You know. The final frame of Kia shows a broken man staring into the camera lens and pulling the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) That was all written by AI Dungeon and farewell to AI Starmer, a better man than the real guy. (laughs) (laughs) Rip, we hardly knew ye. Gonna miss him. Gonna miss him. Sadly knew too many nonces as an AI to pers- <laughs> to pers- persist oh, in, this, God. Oh. in this rotten world. Well, you can't say that he's not an accurate simulation. Anyway, <laughs> that'll do is I think, for this week, won't it? <laughs> um, we will obviously have this out. Um, we'll obviously have this out on the day of the election because we are now good at scheduling etc nice Um, if you're listening to this and you've not yet been to vote then either don't or vote for a northern independence party candidate those are the two options that we're presenting you as actual praxis anything else is bad Uh, unless you're in scotland in which case unless you're in scotland in which case you can vote for the scottish (laughs) green party and the scottish green party only Oh, if, if Elijah were here now. Yeah, he's not. Uh. <laughs> Angry mandolin noises in the distance growing closer. I suppose unless you're in London and you're a great fan of breakdancing, because then other choices are available to you. And drinking your own piss, of yes, course. Yes, if you enjoy drinking your own piss, then please vote for Brian Rose. Um, <laughs> but only if you enjoy drinking your own piss. Only if. And also, if, you, if you're in London and you happen to see Brian, just... Be sure to shout, hey, Mr. Piss, Adam, in the street. 
Oh, right. Does um, does anyone have anything to add? Eleanor, have you got anything to plug? Have I ever? I've got several things to plug. Um, first of oh, all, yeah. I've got my advanced copies uh, for my comic book, which coming out in June. It is called The Middle Ages Graphic History. It's on Icon. If you pre-ordered it, that would be great. And it would go a long way towards um, paying my bills, which I'd appreciate. Um, if you want to see my TV show, you can see that on historyhit.com and you can sign up for free for a month and then you can just cancel it after you yeah, see my I TV show. Yeah, I actually signed up and I'm going to even pay for a month to watch the rest of it yeah. if they release it next month. You hear me fucking History Hits? You oh bread man, bread they're pry- they are prying that five quid out of your hands. But uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and also hype my podcast, uh, We're Not So Different or a WNSD pod uh, where my friend Luke, another uh, fellow comic from the states and i talk about medieval history so uh check that out yeah and i listen to that too and it's also good because a i am a simp and b i like good podcasts that's right (laughs) that's more like this please thank you (laughs) Alrighty, um and yeah for us as usual you can follow us at praxiscast you can get the t-shirts in the store which is teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash praxiscast and we will all see you next week yeah, take it easy on Thursday. <laughs> yes, have a lie-in. You deserve it. Yeah. Have a wank. Play a video yeah. game. Treat yourself. Cheerio. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs>